But, you know, with all of these technologies, all of these standards, you need a bit of trial and error. You need to sort of figure out the best way to adopt them. So while they can solve a lot of today's problems, it's a question of when they'll be in a place where people are sort of widely adopting them. Hello and welcome to the 71st episode of Floorcast, the NFT podcast. And today, luckily, it's not just me and Chris K. We've got another C for you making his return. Corwin, how are you? I'm doing wonderfully, Pat. It is spring in the city, 80 degrees outside. Everyone's outside. No one's inside except for me because I'm recording this podcast right now. But I am doing great. Thanks for asking. Wonderfully has become your catchphrase, doesn't it? I mean, you know, when I'm doing wonderfully NFTs or t-shirts. Never. I don't know if anyone would buy those. Uh, Chris K, how are you? I'm good. I have to say I'm inside right now. I'm really sad. I wish I could be outside. Maybe um, I'll try and set up a recording studio on the balcony um, for next week. I heard that's really good for audio. Just... Yeah, yeah, yeah. you get all the natural sort of sounds of the city, right? It's more immersive. That's what I heard, at least. That's where this whole thing's going, right? Immersive experiences, VR, AR, you know, you're you're taking it to that next sense, which is sound as well. Exactly. Like You just close your eyes and you're in our world. Who wouldn't want to do that? Close your eyes and you're on Chris Kate's balcony. (laughs) (laughs) His balcony is really nice. Oh. I love Chris Kay's oh, balcony. Really? Yeah. 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 He, he got like been. he got like the misters up there for the summertime. He has really cool no lights. Way. Yeah, it's really cool. He kind of just looks down at the entire city. It's kind of like an evil villain lair. An evil villain lair. Yeah. <laughs> I, I I'd say Batman if Batman only had like ten square feet to play with. But yes. <laughs> Oh dear. Right, I think we should get straight into it because there is actually quite a lot to unpack this week. Chris K, I feel like when we were recording last week, it was like, what are we going to talk about? We've had a bunch of, not new standards launch, but new standards widely talked about, publicized in the kind of Web3 space that impact NFTs in a in a very, very real way. You're going to explain them to me and Corwin as if we are five-year-olds so uh, we can understand. So first of all, ERC-6551, which is basically a new standard that allows an NFT to have its own wallet. Lots of people are excited about it. It means your NFT can have its own identity, have attachable stuff to it, blah, blah, all this kind of stuff. So why don't you explain it to us in simple terms, and then we'll discuss that one. Yeah, so this one's really interesting. So behind the scenes, people are calling this TBAs, or token-bound accounts. And as um, you say, Pat, essentially your NFT, it isn't just an NFT anymore. It's a smart contract wallet that allows folks to send items to it. You can store ETH in it. You can store ETH in your cool cat. How cool is that? <laughs> the idea is really that, you know, over time, you're building up this sort of composable NFT. So like, let's say, you know, Doodles, for an example, your Doodle is the wallet. And then you go to the duplicator, you get shoes, socks, a hat, a nice sort of shirt. All of those, instead of being separate NFTs in your wallet, are sort of clumped together in this doodle wallet. You know, this seems to be sort of a really interesting mechanism, both in terms of, you know, making it easy to sort of transfer and sort of, you know, get a sense of like all of one user's holdings, 
without having to like go through their wallet and try and work out what collection things belong to. But it also gives you potentially like a more secure way to sort of go and connect to dApps uh, with your NFT. Like instead of um, connecting your wallet and risking being drained, you're only connecting that one asset um, and you're able to prove that you own it. Really interesting. You know, I think the concept of smart contract-based wallets is going to continue to be more and more of a thing. Obviously, in the olden days, you had things like Gnosis Safe, where you had multi-sigs implemented as smart contracts. Now, with some of the account abstraction stuff, you're going to be able to have wallets that do a lot, lot more. And, you know, I think there's already like lots of use cases popping into my head here from all of those customizable collections to games. Like, I don't think it necessarily makes sense to have like all of your, let's say, Call of Duty NFTs sitting in your wallet when actually you can group them together in one of these token bound accounts. That makes it just a lot easier to track. It makes it a lot easier to trade these items. Like a lot of these standards, I will say, you know, it all seems very great on paper. But, you know, it's worth sort of remembering where the very early stages of these things. So currently it's a proposed standard. That means that no one has gone and sort of blessed it and says this is the way things will work. They're not recommending teams really sort of implement these and there's probably going to be breaking changes along the way. In terms of how long this is going to take, that's an open-ended question. It could be months, it could be years, it could be never. Like there's no real timeline behind any of these things getting adopted. It's more, I think, you're looking for people in the industry taking an interest and trying to push these standards forward, kind of like what um, MasterCard has been doing with account abstractions. Yeah, so this is cool. I think one challenge we will see um, if these sort of reach broad adoption is just it'll take some time for apps, marketplaces, and everything to catch up. Out of the box, while these things will look like ERC-721 tokens, and, you know, they're trying to be as backwards compatible as possible, they probably won't render correctly in OpenSea, in MetaMask, in your portfolio tracking apps like Floor. They're all going to need to, in some way, support and recognize that functionality to sort of render the asset. This is an interesting proposal. Like It's got use cases that make sense, not quite ready for the prime time. But, yeah, I think you could do some interesting things with it, especially in certain verticals like gaming. What are the concerns here, Chris K? I've spoken to a few people who are much smarter than me who say there's going to just be a ton of fraud issues here. Can you elaborate on why that is? I mean, I think one of the bigger things is like for any of these smart contract wallets, and they talk a lot about this um, with the um, account abstraction standards, just the need for both security in the implementation, but also just making sure that everything is audited and making sure that it works. You know, I feel fairly confident that, you know, if someone like, say, Coinbase is making a wallet, they're following secure best practices when they're coding, they're getting the code audited, it's not going to sort of explode one day and sort of scatter my NFTs across the blockchain or sort of anything like that. Whereas if this is pushing a lot of the implementation complexity downstream to project teams, suddenly you have a bunch of NFT or game developers who now are potentially building things that present much bigger security risks. You know, honestly, I think well implemented, this could actually be a bit more secure because you're only connecting one asset versus your entire traditional wallet. But I think it does push the complexity of implementation downstream a bit more than um, we've seen previously. 
And that, I think, is probably where you're going to end up with potentially security issues arising based on individual implementations of this. I do have a question, CK. When I'm like looking at all these images and like this tweet thread of 6551, it's like showing like a board eight, but split into traits. So is this going to like make all the NFTs, not all the current ones, but maybe ones on the standard will be separated by traits so I could like sell a trait from my NFT? And then like, if I sell that trait, do I lose it on the main one? I'm kind of confused on what's going on here. I think it depends on the collection. Like all of these sort of um, examples, you know, this isn't implemented for bot apes. This isn't implemented for doodles, moonbirds, anything like that. They're just sort of illustrating, you know, how this standard could potentially be used. I think like the intent is sort of similar to sort of your doodles, where you have your base doodle, then you sort of clothe it essentially with add-ons. Like those would be the pieces you sell. Um, and, you know, if you sort of back out a bit, like, it's a case where, you know, you may have like an NFT that is pretty much a blank canvas and then you're doing micro transactions, you're getting accessories for it. And like, that's how they're thinking about, you know, the value behind this in terms of just grouping all of those assets together, but then still being able to trade individual ones. Like, I, I don't think though the intent is, okay, you have your bot ape, maybe you sort of, um, trade one of its eyes for something and that just goes away. It would need to be implemented in the NFT collection. Isn't this stuff quite expensive though, if you're doing trait by trait, like swap sales, like that's the only concern I've got it being on ETH. And I remember when um, Artifact launched their NFT sneakers and they were kind of customizable and you could essentially remove the customizations and then sell into one of the bids like the bid was for the object with all the customizable things. So I understand why this is being done. I do see a bunch of limitations and kind of like cost issues on mainnet, but I do think it's kind of exciting uh, yeah. in general because you're making these things more than, than assets. You're making them things that can do stuff online. Yeah, exactly. It can get expensive, but, uh, you know, I think that's why most games, most projects with a high emphasis on customization aren't using mainnet anyway. They're using Flow, they're using Polygon, they're using something that is cheaper. Um, and, you know, you're always going to have that sort of tension. You know, I think the other sort of thing is, you know, it all comes down to how much you care about sort of asset provenance how much you care about um, things all being on chain versus not. Like if you're looking to do a dynamic NFT, you know, there's plenty of existing ways you can do that using off-chain data, generating that metadata based on the user's sort of customization. So there's other ways to do it. It's just obviously this way has the benefit, um, have a questionable that may be of just it all being on the blockchain. And you can see everything that's happened to that asset from the moment it was minted, every customization to the moment you sell it. Let's move on to the next token standard, ERC721C. This was announced in an open source way by Gabriel Layden, who is the dude who paid everyone to go to his tweet from the QR code at the Super Bowl, isn't it? Oh, is, is this him? It is. It is. Wait, wait, yeah, uh, it's the Limit Break CEO. Oh, yeah, no, yeah. not that guy. Uh, it is that guy. Anyway, um, <laughs> he, he kind of seems like a guy who would like have like an ice culture of himself at like a party. 
He's got 1.1 million followers now, though, Corwin, so it's good, <laughs> good money spent on that ad. Um, so this new standard can do the following for NFT holders. One, minter royalties, so payment given to first minters. Two, shared royalties, payments given to many or all NFT token holders. Three, transferable royalties, uh, payments given to NFT tokens that can be transferred to another holder. So on minter royalties, we've kind of seen that with QQL before and Tyler Hobbs. But Chris K, go on, give us the lowdown on what this is, how it works, if we were an idiot like me and Corwin. Yeah, so first of all, like, I wouldn't necessarily call this a standard. Um, I think, you know, it's a template contract with extra flexibility around royalties. Like, this isn't going to replace your 721s, your 1155s, or anything like that, nor do I believe it's been submitted to the standards bodies themselves. In fact, I'm not even sure the source code is publicly released at this point. But basically, what it's doing is it's taking a 721 token and it's adding a bit of extra code for developers to customize that gives them control of, or a bit more control over royalties. So it has the on-chain enforcement stuff built in, so you can't trade these tokens on marketplaces that don't pay creator royalties. And then it gives you customization options. So you can essentially, within your token contract, now say, okay, I'm going to divide royalties in this way. And it could be, you know, you give them to minters. It could be you split them around all your holders. It could be that you give them to people with tokens of a certain trait. It basically just a nice sort of framework for you to build these sort of rules. And all of that is obviously in this smart contract so that it's all 100% managed on train, on, on train, on chain. Um, you know, this is sort of interesting in terms of some of the game mechanics it can lead to. I think it definitely plays towards the speculative side of Web3. So already at the gate, not the biggest fan. Like I'm trying to think of a, a use case for a more legitimate project. And I can't really sort of think of anything significant there. I think the other thing I'd say is like, is this a model that is even going to work in the US? Like if people are buying into these NFTs. That was my concern, yeah. Now with the promise that, you know, you're going to get a bit of royalties, like this is essentially a security at this point. And like, I don't think this is going to fly for a lot of people. So I, I don't really see this ever being sort of widely adopted unless something changes. I, I think that there was a lot of buzz about Dot Swoosh doing this with kind of co-creation and like, you know, if I co-create a sneaker with one of the artists at Nycore.swoosh, I would get a portion of the royalties or the primaries for that curated sale. I, there was a lot of noise about that. I don't know if that's still happening. In theory, this is a great idea. But as you say, Chris K, my immediate thoughts were regulatory when I saw this. I was like, uh, yeah, I don't know. That's interesting. And also, you know, the second one was the second one was skill-based royalties. A creator could assign a certain percentage of royalties to token holders based on their dynamic and recorded skill in an on-chain game. Doesn't almost make this like a like an on-chain, like almost an on-chain like fan duel, fan like fancy type thing model where you might have to have like a gambling license. Yeah, that's actually a really good point. You know, I think 
it does sort of present a big barrier to adoption. And like the, the other thing worth sort of calling out is, you know, this isn't the only sort of um, mechanic that you can use to reward holders. And like a lot of the larger projects are sort of leaning into like reward programs and stuff like that to incentivize community participation, as well as recognizing how long you've been holding an NFT. And those, while everyone seems to be doing something slightly different, seem to be sort of making headway there. You know, this is, I, I don't know, it seems a lot more of a solution in search of a problem that maybe has some bigger problems associated with it than anything else. So I don't think this is going to go anywhere. I think it's the sort of thing that gets a lot of people writing about it, similar to um, the ERC 721R implementation, which allowed you to do refunds. That was sort of... Mm, yeah, um, yeah, yeah, I remember that. I actually refunded one of my NFTs. Oh. Do you remember that? What was that drop? I think I did too. I think we all refunded. I think we might. <laughs> <laughs> the rugged became the ruggers. Um, Chris K, uh, talk to me about X NFT and backpack. This is one that I haven't gone down the rabbit hole on. Again, presumably not a contract standard, but a question posed by Moonfuel in the Discord, in the Floorcast Discord, for, for a deep dive on this. Yeah, so basically, um, when you burn an NFT, it goes away and you're left with an X NFT. No, that joke didn't <laughs> land well. Um, I legit wrong thought answers that was a only, thing. Legit, <laughs> I literally thought that was, that was real. I was like, wow, where's this going? Did you not see the thread yesterday, Pat? Again, this, this is the one thing that I haven't really paid attention to um, this week. Yeah, so, okay, XNFTs are weird. Um <laughs> They are essentially executable NFTs. And what that means is it's an attempt to embed a React native app um, on the Solana blockchain. And then you have this thing called Backpack, which is a wallet app that exists to allow you to interact with these um, executable NFTs. So kind of like um, sort of the WeChat model where you're building one app that then runs tons of other apps. So it's the only sort of app you, you need to use, except in this case, the app is also your crypto wallet. Imagine like if you got the floor Genesis pass and instead of having to download an app, like you just opened the app in your wallet or you opened your wallet, you saw the pass, you tapped it and boom, the floor app would launch. Like that's sort of an interesting way to think about it. So you're not linking to an external website or anything. It's just all built into your NFT in some form. You know, there's a few interesting use cases there. You know, assuming most communities aren't building something like Floor, um, they could probably still benefit from having a sort of control panel type interface for the assets that manages staking, that manages rewards, you know, anything like that, that you can access from the asset, the NFT itself. You know, I think that gets around sort of a lot of the problems that you face right now, which is a massive disconnect between the token that you own and then whatever web properties, whatever forums, discords, whatever exist around it. Like there's no connection between those two things, except, you know, if you look at the links on your OpenSea page. It's interesting. I don't necessarily think XNFTs are the future. Like, I don't think you'll see this turning into like an app store in the same way as sort of Google and sort of Apple sort of structure it. But I think it's an interesting concept if you're trying to 
add value around your token and you have things that people can do with it. I think the downside obviously is, you know, this needs client support. You need to be using Backpack um, and, you know, who knows if you'll see support in other wallets and other applications. It's fascinating to watch these things prop up though and like comparing them to sort of similar sort of technology sort of trends on actual sort of mobile devices and phones and stuff like that. Like Apple have their app snippets where you can run a portion of the app without having to download and install it. This is kind of the same thing, but it's obviously a very crypto orientated take on it. It's like an app, but less useful. So yeah, XNFTs, nice concept. If you're a developer, you can probably get the Solana Foundation to give you money to make one. I I don't see them changing the world. Fair enough. So basically, we've discovered three things that are interesting, but won't be game changing is is basically what we're getting at here, Chris K. More or less, yeah. And like all of these things, like they're nice, but so many things need to align for any one of them to sort of become dominant and um, take over. Like even account abstraction, ERC, oh God, 4668, maybe. Um, Let's see how close I am later. Uh, But even the account abstraction smart contract wallet standards, like I'm not expecting to see anything of sort of value there for, you know, at least the next six months or so. Um, I know ThirdWeb announced that they've uh, got an implementation. They've solved the Web3 onboarding problem. Don't quite think that's the case, but nice try. But, you know, with all of these technologies, all of these standards, you need a bit of trial and error. You need to sort of figure out the best way to adopt them. So while, you know, they can solve a lot of today's problems, you know, it's a question of when um, they'll be in a place where people are sort of widely adopting them. Speaking of wide adoption, Ledger put out an announcement today that essentially, <laughs> I saw Chris K go, ooh. Uh, Ledger put out an announcement today that essentially said that you can back up your seed phrase via something called sharding. And it has sparked a lot of disgruntled community members in the crypto space on Twitter the whole B-Rome bank crowd are very annoyed at this. Corwin, I mean, you've seen this on social. Um, what was your reaction to seeing this announcement by Ledger initially? Um, I think it makes sense to onboard people. Like a lot of companies already do this. So it's like a three shard thing for many, many Web3 companies. But I guess the Ledger CEO responded on like a Reddit forum and was like, hey, like only if you opt into this. But like everyone's like freaking out being like, no, like, what does this mean for our seed phrases? Like, are they held on a server somewhere? Like, there's just like, it seems like there's a lot of confusion going on, if that's the correct word. Uh, CK, have you seen more about this on Twitter? I just see like up uproar everywhere, which is interesting because for me, I'm just like, okay, if I don't opt into it, it's not going to be sent anywhere, but maybe I'm not seeing this the right way. Yeah, so obviously this is sort of fairly new. So I think sort of things are still developing. Also, just a side note, Ledger, please send me my stack soon. I really want it. But every day that I don't receive it, I'm getting very close to like canceling my order and being like, fuck it. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so is your stacks going to be three sharded? Um, I, I, I don't know. Like it was meant to be here, what, <laughs> March, April, and it's end of May, and I've not heard a thing from them. You know, is this company even still in business? Will they even ship this? Who knows? Oh, maybe, maybe this is why they need everyone's seed phrases. They need some seed funding. <laughs> um, 
Yeah, so this this is sort of interesting. So they're partnering with a company called CoinCover, which is essentially an insurance provider for crypto. There's some sort of monthly fee, but I'm not entirely sure how much it costs. But yeah, I, I can totally see um, why people are a bit sort of miffed. You know, you're given assurances, your seed phrase never leads your device, and then boom, suddenly there's a service that... Uh, uh, actually sort of offers to escrow your seed phrase for you and help you recover it. Um, you know, they say it's sharded. That means that, you know, your entire seed phrase will not be held by one party. I think they basically chop it into three fragments and then, um, you know, we each hold it. Similar, like if Floorcast was um, setting up such a service, Pet, Corwin and I would each have a bit of your seed phrase. And it's only when we really get together that bad things could happen. My understanding of it is you only need two shards to recover, correct, CK? I believe so. So this is how a lot of the social recovery features work, both here with sort of um, smart contract wallets, with iPhones. You know, you, you nominate your social contacts who can verify you are you, and you need a given number of those people to actually vouch for you to get access again. Um, they do have some interesting sort of pieces um, around it. So... In order to recover your wallet, you need to KYC. So you're providing a passport or ID card. You're limited to recovering access to your wallet. I think it's like three times a year. So if, if you continually lose things, that isn't um, a good option. And then I believe there's some sort of insurance policy where if something goes wrong, you're covered up to $50,000 worth of assets in the event that sort of ledger screws something up. You know, from a security perspective, you may think, okay, well, you know, if I don't opt in, my seed phrase doesn't go anywhere. You know, that's true. That's um, the case. Like, I don't think Ledger's syncing this to the servers. They are obviously within their software giving um, themselves the ability to extract your seed phrase. So I'm curious um, the security around that. Like, you know, you might not even need to be enrolled in this to be at risk if there's some malware that can sort of exploit mm -hmm. um, Ledger's software to pull out your seed phrase, essentially. But, you know, one would hope that the engineers over at Ledger have actually thought about this and put time into mitigating that. In terms of whether this is a good feature or not, like, yeah. I think most people should not be self-custodying um, expensive assets. And I think having that... The safety net is going to be helpful and is going to help a lot of people. You know, it, it really depends. Like if, if you can't get past this and you are this sort of, you know, not my keys, not my crypto sort of person with the tinfoil hat, then, you know, maybe this puts you off Ledger's brand. But, you know, to me, it seems like a very nice, very consumer friendly feature. I'm interested to learn more about it. I don't know if I'd use this service myself, you know, like most people, I just take a picture of my seed phrase and put it in my public gallery. Um, but uh, but no, it's good that you have this um, as a thing. And like I can see this being very useful for like businesses and sort of entities that are storing just large amounts of crypto and want an extra layer of security. Yeah, I'm reading more tweets about it, and it does seem like a lot of people are just upset that Ledger has the ability to extract your seed phrase now. So I wonder if that's something new, if they always had that ability. Um, but yeah, it's definitely interesting. But I think like like you were saying, like for businesses or like new people to crypto, I think this is kind of a good thing um, just because it's 
easier for people to onboard, especially if they lose that that phrase. Not really built for us, but new people. I do wonder if the better play here was actually Ledger launching a new product. Like, could you have done something that kept you as the tried and trusted brand to the, you know, the sticky crypto whales and veterans, but also created something that was more of a, an onboarding tool? That, that's the only thing I question rather than like same hardware, you know, for everyone. Because clearly the, these are two different goals, right? If you can choose whether or not to update so that you can have the sharding thing and therefore recover your seed phrase a lot easier, but in a less secure way overall, and you want to be your not your keys, not your crypto type of person, I don't know, perhaps, you know, if they're launching this fancy stacks flippy thing, why not do another thing, which is like a, you know, little Tamagotchi, like the old, you know, the old style bank things that, that I don't know if you ever had in the US, but to get into your bank account, you had to click the certain amount of buttons. I don't know, like, it just seems a bit, a bit of a strange strategy for me. I'm also curious too, like, maybe the service is like, once you opt into the service, you have to type in your seed phrase or something. Maybe it's not being automatically sent. Like there's just so many variables here. And and you're right. They should, like another product would have helped their brand, especially in a time like this, which is interesting. But I mean, Chris K is still waiting on his stacks. So if they create another product, maybe <laughs> a while. I That's an interesting question. Like, Will they create another product? What is the future of Ledger? Like, where are they going to be in five years? Because, you know, I'm just waiting for Apple to give me a crypto wallet and then all my ledgers are getting thrown in the bin. Like, you know, in that sort of scenario, I don't necessarily have that compelling use case for a dedicated hardware wallet if my operating system provider, in this case Apple, um, you know, offers that support natively. Would Apple create a hardware wallet? I, I don't know. I, I think... I mean, a lot of things need to happen. And obviously, the regulatory environment of the US maybe isn't conducive to this. But like, let's say it was built into your wallet app. I'd feel fairly secure with that. I'm sure like Ledger, like a lot of other companies, they've got a lot of smart people thinking about the security. So I feel good there. And I feel like <laughs> um, you know, not having it on this thing that's dangling from my desk, which scares the hell out of me every time I have to turn it on and try and do a transaction... I think they could actually make it a sort of fairly sort of seamless experience. And like if or when that happens, how is a company like Ledger going to compete? Is it that they're going into sort of extra services like this, where they're essentially offering insurance? You know, that's one area where, you know, they can evolve their product offerings. You know, I don't think their sort of end goal from a product perspective is keep on making these sort of shiny e-ink separate devices. Because I think at some point that's going to go away. And, you know, as much as they try and build a moat around it, that's not going to happen. So it's like, okay, what services can you build around your ecosystem to keep people in there and really sort of give people a reason to go in there? I think the insurance is just like such a customer support nightmare and and just like could lead to so many negative reviews of like Ledger because someone could get their seed phrase stolen or they could, you know, like sign a bad, a bad transaction with the contract that drains their wallet. And they're just going to blame Ledger and be like, well, where's my insurance? And Ledger's going to literally have to go to each individual case and try to be like, hey, this wasn't our back end being hacked or anything like that. This is the reason why X, Y, Z, here's a transaction or you must have got your seed phrase stolen. Like I just, I love the sentiment behind it. I just, it just seems like a nightmare. 
can I just say as well, like this whole be your own bank thing is just not a scalable business or ecosystem for anyone involved. So net net, like, you know, if it's everyone's their own bank type of thing and that's where crypto ends up, it's going to be an incredibly like niche thing. And if it wants to, as a technology, touch like hundreds of millions, billions of people, it's got to have to find some way that isn't 100% secure, but is practical enough that in the same way that a lot of people keep more than, you know, in, in, in the UK, you're insured £85,000 uh, by a bank if it fails. But a lot of people keep more than £85,000 in their bank account, right? So there's like social norms that humans have created that have to extend to this technology uh, as well, rather than like trust no one and, you know, let's start prepping. Was that too harsh? No, I, I don't think so. Before we move on, I need to remind you that we're a community-led podcast by the Floor NFT app community. And if you don't know what Floor is, it's if you have your own NFT portfolio in your pocket that aggregates all your NFTs into one amazing interface. Corwin, what's the latest from Floor? So I have some exciting news, actually. In the past five days, both our Floorcast hosts have had their birthdays. So happy birthday to Pet and CK. It's great doing this with you all for over a year. Um, also, CK is working on some really exciting things at Floor that I think is going to be coming out within the next two to two and a half weeks. So it's kind of going to change a lot of things. It's not changing anything, but like, I think it's going to be really cool. Sorry, CK. <laughs> I don't know the best way to say. It. I don't the know. Vagueness. I, I don't. Yeah, I don't know the best way to be vague without like giving it away. But it's like it's really cool. It's around like profiles. Yeah, crazy. Chris K and my mum have the same birthday. How weird is that? Well, you just gave away one of CK's ledger shards, so now he's going to have to keep <laughs> the last two secure. <laughs> Radio, we're going to go straight into more stories, wider Web3 stuff, banter, and any other business, because there was quite a lot of stuff today. Uh, first of all, guys, has the NFT market bottomed? I've seen volumes pick up across all exchanges and a lot of minting happening. Uh, what are your thoughts? I'm definitely seeing more minting happening. Like, I'm not sure minting for sort of large amounts, but, uh, you know, I'm definitely seeing more projects sort of uh, poke their head up and uh, give it a shot. So that's good. I think like I definitely want to wait another month or so before sort of saying uh, definitively um, whether we've sort of hit bottom or not, but it's it's looking promising. I think the one thing I'd be wary of is just everything going on right now with meme coins. They are sort of upsetting a lot of projects. Gas fees are stupid high. Um, and I feel like they've still got a lot of focus. Hopefully that won't be for much longer. But um, I think that's sort of the main competition we have right now. Have you guys minted anything? People mint NFTs? <laughs> I'm actually trying to mint one thing, but I'm not on the mint list. Okay, so... What are you trying to mint, Pat? I, I want to mint the mint or skip. Genesis Pass because I really like that newsletter and it helps me write the newsletter. My newsletter and also helps me write this podcast show notes. So it does a lot of my job for me. Gas is just so high. I saw someone trying to send like $30 of ETH to someone and it's like, it's going to be $30. <laughs> That's a good deal, man. And um, I, I did mint actually recently within the past three weeks. I minted the new Starbucks NFT. It was like a hundred bucks. Uh, gave me like Starbucks points or whatever, but that's on Polygon. There was the dot swoosh oh, uh, well, drop as well. I tried the, to do that, but one. Nike's web servers went down again. 
Yeah, was it was it their web servers or was it something to do with their um I just uh, log in. something to do with their their smart contract? Oh, I don't know. That's a good question. I wasn't able to log in. Damn. That is scary stuff. Zeneca's also launched a NFT creation platform. I don't know if you guys saw that, which was quite interesting. And Illuvium have a gameplay launch trailer on the 18th of May. Illuvium, who have obviously raised $120 million to date to build a, a blockchain game, um, the most raised by any Web3 gaming company. So yeah, that's going to be a that's going to be a big thing. I think they're going to be rolling out wider user stuff soon as well. So there is lots of interesting things happening. Like, you know, I don't want to call the bottom and say we're, we're getting bullish here, but I don't know. There is a weird dichotomy between like, Everyone in retail being wrecked and like hating NFTs and all the big brands trying to do stuff and loads of investment still happening ish. Yeah, I've been sort of especially interested both. I think so. Out of the things you mentioned, Dot Swoosh, um, you know, finally they're realizing having a sort of e commerce like user experience is actually good and gets people sort of engaged. Um, heard so much good feedback about just how you can pay for their things with fiat and it's very smooth and seamless. You know, it, it makes me wonder why we bothered with all of this sort of crypto stuff in the first place. Um, you know, just build mini Amazons and sell uh, JPEGs that way. The Haymint XYZ um, thing I thought was also quite cool. So that's Zeneca's um, Mint platform. So tools for launching your NFT, that's sort of roughly no code. You have sort of pre-canned contracts, um, and it'll give you sort of all the instructions on how you sort of layer your art and stuff like that. I think one thing that's sort of maybe sort of a bit in- interesting or sort of disappointing is like there's so many people in the space doing so many different variants of the same thing. Like I really wish there was a better way to mash up some of these tools. So like, for instance, Bueno, I think is the tool if you're doing any sort of generative, um, and by generative, I mean layered art style NFT collections. But I think some of the things that Heyman provides in terms of allow lists, in terms of actually building out the Mint page, are sort of a lot better offerings. And like, yeah, I don't know. I feel like you're going to get to a place where depending on sort of what choice you pick, you're locked into those ecosystems and you're limited with what you can do with some of these releases. You know, I, I wish instead of everyone building the same thing, you had everyone getting together and building different things or something. I don't know. But um, really nice platform. Um, I think it's going to help a lot of creators launch NFT projects. So on that side of things, great. It's stimulating the space. Some other things as well. Opepin near record sales. Matt Obi one tweeting about that today. I thought that was pretty interesting. Um, and then some broader crypto stuff. Uh, Stripe launched a crypto to fiat on the room which is quite cool. Binance withdraw from Canada. So clearly no exchanges want to be in Canada, uh, even harder than the States right now, supposedly from a regulatory, regulatory perspective. And then there was Ben.eth as well. If people saw that, an influencer that has been around since kind of 2021 launched uh, Ben, the meme coin, and he essentially uh, had BitBoy, whose name is also Ben Shillit. And then he created a preset, a second token called Psyop that had a pre-sale and $7 million were sent to the contract that started Psyop, which is pretty ridiculous. Like, is this has to be the, the, the end of meme coins for this cycle, doesn't it, Chris K? 
I hope so. I, I don't get it. So everyone who sent money to this guy's wallet, have they got coins yet? Are they going to get coins? Is this just a scam? I actually don't know. I have no idea. I saw an article headline which was like, PsyOps raises $7 million. Like, no, they haven't raised anything. They've been given $7 million. Marvelous. Sounds like raising to me. I think that's what we've got time for today, though. Chris K, thanks so much for joining me once again. Where can people find out more about you? Yeah, you can find me on Twitter at at Corwin? You can find me on Twitter at 0xCorbin. And you can find me at Pet Barisha on Twitter, P-E-T-B-R-I-S-H-A. And you can find us at The Floorcast on Twitter. And you can find Floor on Twitter at Floor. And you can find us all in the Floor Discord in the Floorcast channel. Thanks so much for listening. We'll have more Floorcast for you next week. And just remember, everything we have said isn't financial advice. It's just great advice. Thanks very much for listening. We'll have more for you next week. Yeah.